remained even after the northern kingdom was taken into captivity in 722 by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom would be taken into captivity in 586 by the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. And here in the book of Zephaniah, the judgment of Judah is going to happen. And so the repentance that Zephaniah is endeavoring to prompt the kingdom of Judah to is not a repentance that will stave off judgment. All it can do is to keep you from being carried away in the judgment. And so as I said that, I want you to think of that. As I read through chapter 2, I'll embellish upon that and expand upon that more. Uh, But I'll read for now Zephaniah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'll read the whole chapter. That's to verse 15. Gather yourself together. Yes, gather together. O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. You have upheld his, I'm sorry, who have upheld his justice? Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. For Gaza shall be forsaken and Ashkelon desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday and Ekron shall be uprooted. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you, so there shall be no inhabitant. The seacoast shall be pastures with shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there. In the houses of Ashkelon, they shall lie down at evening. For the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon, with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom, and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits, and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them, and the remnant of my people shall possess them. This they shall have for their pride." Because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be awesome to them, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place, indeed, all the shores of the nations. You Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north, destroy Assyria, and make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. The herds shall lie down in her midst. Every beast of the nation, both the pelican and the bittern, shall lodge on the capitals of her pillars. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be at the threshold, for he will lay bare the cedar work. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely, that said in her heart, I am it, and there is none beside me. How has she become a desolation? 
a place for beasts to lie down. Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his fist. Thus far the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, we come to you. And our desire is that we might be understanders of your word. That we might not be bystanders, but that we would fill our hearts and our minds with the wisdom and truth that is found here in your word. And so grant to us even now our ears that receive well, that with all attention, without distraction, though that can be for us even a challenge, especially in these evening hours as the sun is down. Our minds, our flesh grows weary. And yet it is in these quiet times where you come to us and you speak. You speak to us from your word so that we might know that we are your children, that you are our God. Remind us of this, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. As Zephaniah has described already in chapter 1, the great and awesome day of the Lord, in which he will utterly consume everything from the face of the land. That land being the land of Judah, the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was the capital. God would, as he is prophesying in Zephaniah chapter 1, bring desolation through Babylonian captivity. It was a horrifying conflict. There was much bloodshed. There was much humiliation. God was, through another nation, a pagan nation, judging his people. Even as Israel longed for the gods of the other nations, God would give them the other nations. And this is what you get. This is what you get for your idolatry. This is not vindictiveness as we think of it. This is justice. This is the wrath of God being met out upon those who were rebellious of heart, of hand, of mouth, of foot. And here, in chapter 2, there is a call to repentance in the opening verses. And then not only a call to repentance as a means of seeking to bring from Israel a faithful remnant who might hide themselves from the wrath of God that is to come. And then in verses 4 through 15, a declaration of acted out enmity. Of wrath against those who worship foreign gods, who put God to the test, who do violence against his own people. In their godlessness. God says I will destroy you. Even this. Was meant to be a motivation to Israel. Not to follow the foreign pagan nations. And so I want to make two points tonight. As we look at this text. The first point. We see in verses 1 through 3. Seek the Lord. For judgment is coming. Seek the Lord. For judgment is coming. And then secondly. In verses 4 through 15, a motivation from watching other nations. A motivation from watching other nations. So let's look at this first point, this call to repentance, that is seek the Lord, for judgment is coming. Now this invitation is given to a nation here in verse 1 that he describes as an undesirable nation. Some translations use the word shameless. 
Israel is undesirable because she is shameless. And so Zephaniah is writing right to Israel and he's saying, gather Israel yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O shameless or undesirable nation. This nation, this people that God had called to himself, he had wed himself to her in covenant faithfulness. As we see in the book of Hosea, God uses the life of Hosea as an illustration of his own relationship to Israel and to the people of Judah. And the, the character that plays Israel is a prostitute. It is Gomer. And God calls Hosea to go and get an unf- a wife, and that wife must be a woman like Gomer, Gomer herself. Talk about a hard calling. And even though Hosea went and got her and married her and brought her to his home, she left. And in this, God is showing Israel what kind of nation they are. It's a hard call. It's not only a hard call for Hosea, God himself is enticing a bride that refuses to be enticed, many of them. And so this is where that idea of shamelessness and a lack of desirability She makes herself out to be a a scandalous, whorish, wholly unsuitable bride. She is not what a father would say to his son, marriage material. Stay away from her. She's shameless. She's brazen. She's wicked. And this shamelessness really is born of when she is confronted by God and God's word and the ministry of the prophets, she feels no guilt. There is no repentance. Now the things that God is saying, if one had the heart of repentance, they would shudder and say, oh, I have been living a wayward life. I should repent. What we have is covenantal apathy and indifference to the call of the Lord. It is the antithesis of affection and devotion. And so there is the nation that God is addressing. He is speaking to Israel, the shameless or undesirable nation. And then here is the call. Before the decree is issued, that decree is the day in which judgment is made, it is revealed, it is made certain, or the day passes like chaff. Before it's too late, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. The Lord is speaking through his prophet Zephaniah and he's saying, before it is too late, you shameless people, get some shame. Repent. This is an extraordinary act of patience. It is not a surprise. There are times when God's wrath does come as a surprise. But it only comes to those who are wantonly rebellious. It is not a surprise to those who act in righteousness. We are told in Scripture the day will come like a thief in the night. Now that is not referring to what happens in 586. That's referring to what happens in 70 AD. That judgment. But it will only be a shock and a surprise to those who fail to hear the warnings. But for those who heed the call, who seek the Lord, 
They are ready and they are waiting. They know that it is inevitable and they're not wincing because they have this promise and this comfort that through repentance, God will hide them from his wrath. Now, already I've related the work and the ministry of these three prophets, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, to something of the theme that we find in the book of Hebrews, where we read that God shakes the stuff of earth so that that which may not be shaken may endure. That God does, throughout the history of men, involve himself in such a way that it is very apparent, though God is always at work in the lives of men, he is never absent, he is intimate with all of his creatures in this way, as a sovereign God, it's as though he is shaking the earth so that what can stick may remain. I, I use the illustration of uh, taking a piece of construction paper, maybe kids, you've done this before, and you write out your name in Elmer's white glue. And then you take glitter and you shake the glitter on that glue and there's glitter all over the page and you look at it and go, well, what's going on here? And then your teacher says, maybe it's your teacher, I did this like in kindergarten, turn the page over, shake off the glitter, and what you're left with is the stuff that is only sticking to the glue. And if you spelled your name correctly, there's your name. I didn't spell my name correctly the first time. How do you stick? How do you stick to the paper? You hide. It is not unlike the occasion of Israel in the land of Egypt in the book of Exodus. In fact, it is very similar. It is not like Noah and his family hiding in the ark. When God reveals himself in righteousness on earth, and there are both righteous and wicked men living on the earth, that revelation of the righteousness of God is perceived in two very different ways. For those who are righteous, they are hidden and they are saved. But for those who are wicked, they are not hiding. There is no place to hide. They refuse to hide and they receive their just desserts. Now, as it relates to this concept of hiding, it is not just that we are to hide with the principle of where are we to hide. Now here, in Zephaniah chapter 2, this is the means by which we hide, or they were hiding. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Now here, meekness is associated in a parallel fashion with this upholding of the justice of God. What is that? It is to live out the righteousness of God on earth while all your neighbors are not. That is meekness. Where have you heard the words meek and earth elsewhere together? Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And Christ is presenting to the church the Sermon on the Mount. And he is speaking to the saints. And he is saying to them, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? The earth. The way that you and I will dwell in the land that God has given us 
is that we will uphold the cause of truth and righteousness that God has revealed in his word. The only way you can stick to the paper while everyone else falls is that we cling to the Lord's righteousness. And so we see, not only seek the Lord all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice, also this, seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in that day of the Lord's anger. And then we go to the book of Exodus. What was that which distinguished the Israelite who heard the word of God and hid within their homes and those who ignored the word of God and brazenly ignored those warnings, like Pharaoh? It was the blood under which they hid. That blood was the sign and seal of God's covenant that God had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That blood was the means by which grace might be imparted to those who did not deserve it, but nonetheless lived because of it. This is meekness. Meekness hears the instructions of the Lord and says, Lord, whatever it takes to be hidden from anger, from judgment, I will do it. What is the instruction that God has given to us in his word that we might flee from the wrath that is to come? Get beneath, get inside, come to the cross whereby we are saved. We see it with Noah, we see it in the Passover, we see it in the cross of Christ, we see it in the altar. Time and time again, God has given us pictures. He gave to his people a picture here. If you want to hide from the wrath that is to come... You must listen to what I say and do it. The tornado is coming. Children, if you have a basement, <laughs> get to the basement or the most interior closet that you can find. The warning has been given. A call to repentance has been sent out. And that is to hide, hide as God has instructed. And that hiding is not passive. It is active. It is to seek righteousness. It is to seek humility. It is to heed the voice of the Lord and to keep covenant as he has instructed. This is how we shall inherit the earth. And this is a day that is not unlike the final day of human history. When all of those who are hidden in Christ Jesus will be stuck to the paper and they shall inherit everything that is to come. But those who do not trust in Christ will be cast off like the wind that blows the chaff away. I would imagine if there was something like glitter and glue, that would have been a very fitting analogy, right? The wheat, the tares, the chaff, the glitter that is stuck to the glue or not. Now, also, there is another reason given to Israel for repentance, a motivation from watching other nations. We see this beginning in verse 4. Uh, we see it <clears throat> as it relates to Philistia. We see that in verses 4 through 7. Moab and Ammon, we see that in verses 8 through 11. And then Cush in verse 12. And then the nation of Assyria in verses 13 through 15. Here we see 
as it relates to Philistia first in verses 4 through 7, that they shall be forsaken. What does this mean by forsaken? Who will forsake them? God will forsake them. That is to say that God will turn his face against them and he will judge them because they are a nation full of idolaters. In the middle of verse 5, the word of the Lord is against you. I will destroy you. No one will live there. From the seacoast to the pastures, all of these places, Philistia was known as a mighty seafaring nation. God will remove their power from them. No more flocks. Why? For his people. Now we know that not all of Israel is Israel. And so God is not speaking merely about the nation, but men like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and other faithful men and women and children that belong to the covenant people of God. God is doing this at the end of verse 7, for the Lord their God will intervene for them and will return their captives. That will happen. This is a picture, of course, of the even greater return of the captives when we read of Christ who descended into Sheol, into the grave, and he rose from the dead, and on that third day, he led a train of captives with him. He is the mighty deliverer. Beginning in verse 8, we see God's word against Moab and Ammon. The Lord says that I have heard the reproach, the insults, how they have spoken ill of my people, how they have threatened the borders of the nation that I love. He's heard this. And so what does the Lord say? Surely as I live, I will make of your place a desolation like Sodom and Gomorrah. And then look at the end of verse 9. The residue or remnant of my people shall plunder them. And the remnant of my people shall possess them. It sounds a lot like verse 7. And the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. Why does God do this? Pride. Pride seems to be a theme that lies at the heart of every idolater. Pride keeps us from hearing the warnings of God and heeding them. And God will reveal his awesomeness. Verse 11 He will reduce to nothing all the idols or the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each one from his place. Indeed, all the shores of the nations. We read early in the book of Judges when the Philistines captured the idol, I mean the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it into their god Dagon, the tent in which he lived. That God was having some fun with those idolaters and Dagon fell on his face and he fell on his face again his arms broke off all these things happened and the Philistines understood and they returned the ark back to Israel God is the one who does this it is easy for us in a sort of sophisticated age post enlightenment we who have thrown off the shackles of traditional ancient ways of thinking Not to see that God is got his hands on the machine work of human history. He is the one that controls all of these things. And he acts for his people. Verse 12, Cush, or here, Ethiopia. 
Two lines. You Ethiopians also, you shall be slain by my sword. But a byword. And then a little bit more time devoted to the nation of Assyria, verses 13 through 15. He is repeating what Nahum has already said of Nineveh in that nation, that God will destroy them. He will destroy them. And there may be people, verse 15, that live in the city and say that we are secure. You can say what you wish. I'm sure Pharaoh had a lot to say about Moses and the plagues. He ignored them. He hardened his heart. And yet at the end, on that last day, of the night that would become Passover, his own son died, taken by God to show Pharaoh that he was no God. He was but a mere mortal. God would eventually destroy the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Even his own people were consecrated and then brought to his mountain for worship. What is God doing? God is doing what he has always done. He is making room for his people to grow. Right now, if you were to go into my backyard and look in this area where I had devoted myself at one point to burning down some of the brush, don't do this. What ends up happening when you burn brush is you activate certain seeds in the ground, and all you're doing is providing more room for the weeds. And as you look out this window in the back of my house where I sit and have breakfast every morning, I look out over all of the beautiful weeds. We call it where I come from, pokeweed. Pokeweed just grows and grows. It's not kudzu, at least. But it's ugly. You can step on it, and it just falls right over. There's nothing of substance to it. When God looks out over the earth, he sees that which must be torn out in order for his people to thrive. And God is committed not only to the glory and honor of his name, but the way in which the glory and honor of his name is exalted is by the redeeming of a people and establishing in the earth that he has made. And so the great and awesome day of the Lord means two different things to two different groups of people. To those who deny Christ his honor and worship, it is a terrifying day of judgment. But to those who long for his appearing, when we see him, we will rejoice. If I walk out into my yard and I see a beautiful hydrangea, that hydrangea has no fear of being pulled up. I may sniff off, sniff, sniff, snip off a bud to abuse the analogy, but the pokeweed has something to fear. Why? Because it is fit to be torn up and thrown into the furnace. What we learn here in the book of Zephaniah, long before Christ comes and preaches the Sermon on the Mount, is who shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. How peace, because all those who wage war will be no more. Isaiah 11, verse 4, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Matthew 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What then are we to learn even today? 
What are we to learn about men and nations of judgment and deliverance? God judges all men by a single universal standard, his revealed will. Now, he reveals that will in nature and in his word, but it is clear everywhere throughout the nations. And his righteousness is the measuring rod. His holiness by which he judges all men. And this is what he declares. That those who seek righteousness, who seek humility, who seek justice, they are the ones, the meek, they shall be hidden. (laughs) The application is so very clear. What is it for us? Well... It is to get beneath the bloodstained lintel. It is to be meek. That is, to heed the wisdom and instruction of God, to take it seriously, to believe it, and to live in light of it. And then what? What did Noah do for those 100 years while he built the ark? Now, no one listened. But the Spirit has been sent out into the world, and what have we been promised? Now, not everybody we go to will listen. But there will be those who do. What is the testimony of that? How do we know that is true? Because you're here. Right? You're here and we are thousands of miles away from the place in which Christ was raised. There's this wonderful scene. Uh, in a movie that I loved growing up as a child, uh, there's a scene where these children are in this SUV. And as the T-Rex was getting closer, you could feel the vibrations. And there was a cup, a brilliantly visual element in that film. And as the vibrations were getting louder and more meaty, the ripples of ripples would form in this cup. It's like when an earthquake goes off in the middle of an ocean. It forms this massive tsunami. And it begins to go over wherever it covers. Such is the gospel. You and I are the testimony of God's awesome mercy. And the fact of the matter is this. That if you wish to stand in the day of judgment, if you wish to be the remnant, those who possess what is there when God has brought desolation upon those idolaters, when you return even from captivity, right? There are times in the Christian church where there are people who suffer indignity because they hold to Christ. God will bring them back. God will bring us into the land. God will give us all of these things. But only on his terms. And what are those terms? Meekness. Heed his word. Trust in Christ. Seek salvation in him. Let's pray.